Are you ready to manage your work and personal world better to live a fulfilling, productive life? Then you've come to the right place. Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Here are your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks. Welcome back, everybody, to Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. I'm Augusto Pinot. I'm Francis Wade. And I'm Mark Gelwicks. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome, one and all who are listening to us today. What we are going to do is we're going to have a conversation on this episode about the topic of creating your own productivity tools. And the, the topic came about from considering the idea that today with the proliferation of so many different ways in which you can create your own X or Y, whether that be in the analog world to creating things in the digital space, we now have all of these tools at our fingertips. And I wanted us to talk about the the wide range of these services and tools available to us for us to make our own tools. And I think maybe some of the principles first would be the underpinning for the conversation and then making our way into some of the analog and then digital aspects of available resources to create your own tools. So let's let's start at the at the kind of foundational level. What are the fundamental elements that you want in a productivity tool? And I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on Augusto. Augusto, how about you? How about you start us off with what are what are what's maybe you know two or three things that you think are absolutely important to have in any productivity tool that you would create, whether that be analog, uh, paper, or digital. This is an, an interesting discussion, and 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 you and I have discussed this out you know offline. And I believe there is a one of the issues you find on all these things is what some people grow up, what I call the basics of productivity, they are not present for most people. You know, newer, younger people who come into the need for productivity okay, begin discovering devices you know, that didn't have what I call the basics of so the task, the notes, the calendar, and the context, you know, if you go back in time, you know, when paper was a big thing and digital organizers were not, any digital organizer you bought in paper had those four things. And I still believe they are the basic four things. You know, you need to have a place to have your task. You need to have a place to have your notes, a place to have your calendar, and a place to have your context. And What happened with the evolution of the smartphone is they took the prominent front place and then went someplace in the back. And people simply came to devices that didn't have it. And what happened now is as they need or they are in the need to get more productive, are discovering, okay, what I need to do. And they come in and are recreating the wheel instead of making the wheel, in many cases, a little bit more efficient. I definitely agree with Augusto on this. I think one of the parallels to this, if you want to use an analogy, it's kind of like getting a driver's license. Before you get your driver's license, you're looking at cars. These are neat cars. You want to go drive. Imagine if you just went ahead and jumped in one and drove off. Something bad is very likely to happen. You need to go through the process of learning the basic steps, getting the mechanics down, getting comfortable with it before you can go through and 
jump in a car and drive away. Now take it to the next step. Now you want to not only drive that car, but you want to customize it. You want to make changes to the car that are not standard, but fit your personality and how you work. You can see how far down that path that actually is. But yet with tools like analog notebooks and many of the digital apps, we start at customizing. We don't start at the basics of learning what's in the box and then going from there. And that's, I think, one of the biggest hangups with this. I think I would only add that most people um, sort of fail them, fail into or, or use, use tools like the ones that Augusto described because they had a failure. I think the failure comes from not being able to remember all the stuff that they thought they should be able to or could. And when you know, when they were younger and as adolescents or a little bit older, or actually there are even some adults who to this day won't write anything down, won't keep a, won't put anything in their smartphone, won't have a planner, because they're still trying to use memory. I think it's important to start with the like, sort of accepting that people try to use memory first for all these functions, and it's only when they fail that they look for replacements and they look for something better and they start to copy other people or they buy take a course or buy a book or get a planner but it all starts with a failure of memory that's the common denominator i i agree with with you francis but but also i love the analogy that art brought to the table because yes it is true people go because of the failure but also people go first into customizing. So it is the, you know, using arts analogy, I just put the car into the tree and now let me take it to the shop, okay? And let's now fix the, fix the problem, but we are going to make it either more, let's put blank, let's put rims, let's put new paint job and not look into the problem that is one, what I'm trying to accomplish with this system. It doesn't matter if it's analog, digital, num- what you're trying to accomplish. Number two, how you work better. Because there is people who would love to to stay on paper and they go digital because they, well, people, everybody's going digital. So I guess I also need to go digital where paper will work much better for them. And exactly the opposite. You know, you have people, well, but I can do it pretty. Yeah, you have a really pretty bling thing that is completely dysfunctional. So I have seen both things because, yes, they come to a problem, but they, they are trying to fix a symptom more than understanding what the problem really is. Okay, so I'm going to come at this from yet even a different angle. <laughs> and uh, let me see what you gentlemen have to kind of uh, say about this, which is on productive flourishing, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes. Uh, Charlie Gilkey, back in 2008, had put together two different uh, perspectives, two paradigms. He called them the the general theory of productivity and the special theory of productivity, kind of a play on Einstein there. But what he, he tried to do with the general uh, theory of productivity was to outline the perspective that a productivity system, in essence, was supposed to encompass uh, several um, specific pieces of of the pie. Basics of the two of them kind of mashed together is that a productivity system should help you with planning, with execution, and with evaluation. And then a a tool or a system, I, mean, I guess he would probably say a system, but I'm going to corollary this to just uh, a, the tool right now, is that the 
tool itself should have some uh, these five fundamental components, simplicity, usefulness, be aesthetically pleasing, so have some kind of aesthetics, uh, connectedness, and cohesiveness. And so over time, the tool itself should be able to help you in each of these capacities as well. That is that in a, in a, a kind of an iterative uh, perspective, it should be continuing to help you with simplifying, continuing to create more use and more utility, continuing to become more pleasing to you over time. The idea here is that we use these fundamental um, principles to kind of, uh, you know, identify the tool uh, that you're looking for. Now, he talks about connectedness. I actually think that there's some other pieces here that are really important. Uh, maybe this fits under cohesiveness inside the theory, but I, I need it to be explicitly stated that there is a hierarchy, that is that there are containers and the ability to create a taxonomy. And I've, I've talked about this in you know, all over the internet before. Uh, but the idea is, is that whether they are called folders or notebooks or whatever you want to call them, there needs to be a way to containerize, to organize the material that you want, whether that be in your calendar, whether that be in your tasks or projects or otherwise. You need to be able to containerize things. But I also need to create a an ability, an, an ontology to be able to filter and than to be able to find things as I need them. So I need to be able to filter things out of view to get to the core essence of something. And then I also need to, to surface something at the time in which I need it. And that can include a reminder system, but just generally a very strong search functionality. I need to be able to do those. And kind of the same thing, but maybe a little bit different is just the ability to link to other things. And under like the connectedness perspective, it would be for me integrations, uh, primarily with Zapier or Ift or some other kind of workflow automation tool, uh, the iOS uh, shortcuts, uh, you know, the ability for you to be able to uh, to manifest a, a an interconnectedness between tools is also really important. Well, just listening to you outline that, I do have an issue with it, and it's not your issue, it's how they've defined it. And this is, by saying that the system should improve, creates a false understanding of what a system can actually do. And I'll use the, the bullet journal as a perfect example. If I go through and I take an analog notebook and I set up a bullet journal, uh, in my notebook and then I close that notebook and I put the pen down and I go leave, come back four hours later, that system has not improved. It's not self, self-improving. It doesn't have that capability. No system, unless it has some form of artificial intelligence behind it, has the ability to self-improve. It may have the capability to be modified, to be tuned and changed, but that still requires the conscious effort of the person utilizing the system. It's, it's the old, and I'm going to get this wrong, but you know, the, uh, the observer changes the observed. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about here. If we're looking at these types of tools and this list of functionality that you just rattled off, Ray, that's all incredibly powerful capabilities to tie together. But none of that's going to tie itself together. I mean, I look at tools like you know, Ift or, or Zapier or Microsoft Flow. They've got huge capabilities, but they're not going to stand up on their own. We have to be responsible for that. And we have to understand that the success and failure of these systems is primarily on us, not on the systems themselves, because it's how we look at and adapt and work with those systems and recognize their compatibility with us as individuals. 
to reach that level of productivity that we have mentally created as our, you know, our end zone. Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to uh, get Charlie Gilkey wrong. So I, I'm I'm putting a link to these in the show notes, and I recommend listeners to uh, check it out. And I, I did miss one piece that I wanted to put in here, which is that the general theory of productivity that he puts forth is is actually different than perhaps what I said. And so I just want to clarify here just very briefly. So he says productivity equals uh, parenthetical, meaning that it's connected together because uh, it's kind of a mathematical equation here. So creative energy plus focus plus motivation plus aptitude plus ideal time is divided by difficulty and distractions. So uh, it's creative energy, focus, motivation, aptitude and ideal time over difficulty and distractions is the little you know um, mathematical equation he's created here so so that was that's the that's the general theory of productivity and then the special theory was the one that includes execution planning and evaluation uh, and this what he calls the time management loop and the five um, included um, you know elements of it. Um, and so the, the general theory of productivity includes productivity enablers and productivity disablers or detractors, he calls them. Um, I've called them disablers for years, um, but he calls them detractors. And so anyway, I'll put links to these in the show notes. Folks can look at it and, and kind of get a, a better idea about what we're talking about here in, in terms of that. I mean, I'll, I'll just touch back on the fact that the, the feature set that you outlined, this is a feature set that is basically transferable analog versus digital. So yes, sometimes it works better digital, sometimes it works better analog. But this is a core set of requirement capabilities that are needed to be able to execute on the things that we need to execute on. So I think taking time to make that list for yourself is the most important first step before we get into the next part. Because if you if you have a requirement to do date-driven task scheduling, then whatever automation tools you're going to put into play, that's a key requirement. If that tool can't handle that capability, you're not going to be able to reach the end goal you want. And you need to know that up front rather than saying, hey, this tool out here does all these kinds of crazy connections and triggers. How can I put it to use? Guaranteed, you're going to hit the ceiling of what it can do for you very quickly and then get frustrated unless you go into it with open eyes and say, okay, I know it can take me this far but not any further. And thank you for explicitly saying what I was implicitly describing, which is uh, to restate it, it's so important for the individual to decide on what the requirements are. It's kind of like project requirements if you're a project manager. You know, you have to decide on what the project requirements are, what are the boundaries of the tool, and that really helps, I think, also lower expectations because so many times when we go on the tool hunt, and this is for maybe some of you out there who embrace the idea of changing tools more often than I am, uh, since <laughs> since I don't change tools very often, I play with a lot of tools, but I do not change tools often. I see people changing tools all the time around me, and uh, what I what I always see is the frustration that some marginal component of the tool is not there when in reality it fits the fundamentals the core things that the the core functions that the person needs it to do and so the bells and whistles become the deciding factors behind choosing a competent tool or not choosing a competent tool and the the problem i have with that is, is most often than not you make 
bad choices because you say, okay, well, for example, no offense against those creative professionals who might be listening, but then aesthetics becomes the more important factor than function. And while aesthetics is very important, if it doesn't do what it needs to do, then that's just not going to work. That's not tenable. Uh, But yet sometimes I see people saying, oh, well, this is a really beautiful, gorgeous tool. And I say, well, it doesn't do one of the core things you need it to do. And yet you're choosing that tool over the others because of aesthetics and aesthetics can only take you so far. And, and again, like I said, I think that there needs to be aesthetics. You need to be able to, to, it needs to be palatable (laughs) Um, for you to be able to get things done um, and, and to be able to help it manage, you know, that is, uh, you know, track and maintain the things that need to be done. But, in reality, a personal productivity tool, one that's going to become a part of your productivity system, needs to be able to satisfy functions that are most important to you and not these marginal ones. I think sometimes the marginal ones get in the way. Augusto? But that's, you know, that that you're describing is is exactly what we were discussing at the beginning. You know, it's, people go, they don't know what are the core things. It's interesting for me when, you know, from the productivity perspective, the people that I... Most of the people that I know, you know, who are really involved into this, they keep on their system for years. I'm not saying they don't change it, but it's the changes are so far in between, mostly because exactly what you said, the system may not be perfect, can be improved, all that always true. But what they have, one works, second works well, third meets the important or the core requirements. You know, um, I was listening to, um, and, and this will date this, this episode, but I was listening to the uh, Getting Things Done Summit. And I was surprised when uh, David Allen mentioned that he still use Lotus Notes. I think I start, you know, interacting with Getting Things Done and David Allen teachings around 2004 and he was using lotus now at the time so it is really interesting to see how he's been staying on that platform from that long and when you see you know you i've been on omnifocus seen omnifocus came 2008 so that part is really really interesting to see that consistency, you know, it's not that it's perfect. It's not that do everything. And it's not that the things doesn't evolve. It is that it does most of the core functions well enough that it's not yet enough to to play. Unlike you, I have played with many other things and installed them and disinstalled them, but more on the terms of being able to understand the platform when I talk to my clients, not because I'm looking to move. And, uh, so that part of understand what are the core components of the system and how they are going to work and you know and that is stability of the core it I believe is really really important for what you want to do it doesn't matter if you go paper you go digital or you go any other kind of planner what matters is how consistent is that part on the core and how it's allowing you to move forward it's it's really important for developers to know the difference, and I, I my impression is a lot of them don't, in that they they pick up on a couple of cool features that they want to put into, say a say a task management app, and they maximize those two features, but they don't match map the two features into 
the core functions that the user needs necessarily. They think that, that those two features are enough and they actually don't do the core functions well enough to displace whoever the market leader is. So the app doesn't work. And I don't think many of them understand the core behaviors. Let's say, for example, task management well enough and make, make big mistakes. They make bets, bets, on, bets on the wrong things. Let's put it that way. So that takes us on to, let's go to the kind of the analog and paper world. And the most stark example of, of this is the idea of creating your own paper-based system. Uh, since the days of, of what feels like, uh, you know, yesteryear, uh, we've had the, uh, the Levenger Circa system, uh, which was the disk-based system built by Levenger that allowed you to be able to uh, basically punch small little divots in the end of a page and uh, you could create your own uh, system, your own planner, in essence, by connecting together all kinds of different uh, materials, whether that be paper or plastic dividers or you name it. If you could if you could punch those little holes in it, you could, in essence, use the little you know disks to connect them in all kinds of sizes, uh, lengths, and, and whatnot. And I was actually a big fan of the the Levenger Circa uh, brand, and I think I still have a Circa, uh, uh, you know, puncher, whatever they call them, the Circa machine, uh, sitting around here in my office somewhere. And uh, and so we we've come from that to uh, Staples recently put out their own arc system, very similar to the Levenger system. Uh, and, uh, and so that's been out for several years now. And does anybody know if it's, I, I'm, I only have known it for maybe four or five years, I'm, I'm not sure whether it's been out for longer than that. But, um, but the idea then is that you have these tools on one end where you can create your own planner in essence. And so those of you who are listening and don't know, these systems do exist. You can create your own planner just from um, from that. And what I like to do is actually, I would have the planner, um, the little circus system, and then I actually enveloped it inside of a portfolio so that the circles uh, didn't kind of stick out. I wanted something to kind of hold all the papers together or the whatever it was that I was combining together so that it was in a little bit more substantial in a, inside of cover in essence. And that was very, very helpful. I liked the idea of having it in a space where I had control over it and the little circles weren't capable of popping off and going somewhere else, although they were pretty pretty good at, at being um, stuck in there. Yeah, in addition of that, of that, you know, of staples coming with their their version of that office depot office max also came with a version they call it tool and and i think part of it is all this customization build your own thing i know uh i don't remember now if it was staples or or office max office depot who who partner with martha stewart to create the pretty version of this you know a more a more something more close to what Levenger was you know for, for that market but the problem and and i i was a i i was a user of circa for many many years that was my plan my my notebook okay that was what i used to bring to meetings it was great for that awesome because i can add paper remove paper print stuff that i needed to have in there and have it and unlike you i have you know a couple of those circa Whole punchers now everything goes digital but but at that time it was fantastic and but it gets back to the same thing it gets back to in order to to build that system to really that system to be 
effective to you need to understand what are what are the cores and and if there's anything i will our listeners to get out of this is to spend the time even before they go and play and install and put all the apps understanding what are those issues what are those core elements that they need hey do i need a place to manage tasks well maybe you don't okay i do so that's that's critical for me well do do i have calendars do i manage multiple calendars okay i if you will have told me you know before before the kids okay how complex you know, managing calendars is, I will have laughed at you. I mean, we were, you know, my wife and I manage our calendars no problem until the kids start having activities. And now I need to manage not only where I'm going to be at work, but how much my commute time and take consideration of traffic and how much is going to take me to go there. Let's talk about, let's get that calendar managing really now challenging. Okay, same thing with the task. Okay, not only I'm managing my own projects, my next actions, okay? I need to pay attention to what things crawl into the kids' world and make sure that somebody is managing that. And and obviously, I'm not the only one in that. Anybody who has kids for that matter will, will have that. But then how those elements that pop in and pop out are affecting your system and what are the core elements that you need to make sure your system can stand and not only that can stand on an effective way can you do it in a pen or paper yes but in my case the calendars for example are so dynamic that will never work if i put them in a paper it will require so much time for me to manage so so what are the pieces that you need and how can you really make them effective so you can get the most out of that you can go pretty you can go effective you can go both but you need to understand what are those elements that will make a difference when you do this all right here's something that's bothering me a little bit about this conversation of planners and things and don't get me wrong i i own like 90 percent of this stuff i have cabinets full of it but let's take it take a basic look at it if we look at something like the ring-based planners, the tool, the the arc, whatever. We can do the exact same thing with a three-ring binder and college-ruled notebook paper and regular inserts. So why is this better? And I think that's one of the core things we have to ask ourselves as we start to look not only at physical tools, but digital tools. What makes this better than what I have? What makes this better than a simpler version of the same thing? I mean, if you go back to the 80s, we had Trapper Keepers. Trapper keepers were basically what we're talking about here. They're three ring binders with dividers in them. They had folders in them, sectioned out content. You could organize that way. It worked. It was a closed system. But it's no different than a standard three ring binder with dividers in it. So we have to think about what are we wanting this system to provide to us? And I think if we look at things like the tool and the, and the arc and the Levenger, what we're looking at is the pages themselves, the structure that's already setting up set up on the page and saying, I'm going to use that structure. Why? Because it's laid out in a month grid and I can fill in the month grid and that means I don't have to create my own month grid. I don't have to spend five minutes, eight minutes, 10 minutes to create a month layout. Uh, okay, to be practical, yeah, it does save you that, that amount of time. The question I have is, is it really worth spending to save that? This is where I struggle with this a little bit, but I do like what we're talking about here, the fact that we're going, you look at these tool pieces, and especially on the analog side, things like Moleskine planners and travel notebooks and that sort of, 
tons of different things. But just just remember at its most basic, is it accomplishing what you need it to do? Or are you ex- setting your expectations too high? And if we fast forward from the idea of the Levenger circa Staples Arc and now the Office Max tool, thank you for bringing that to my attention, Augusto. I'm going to be making a purchase later on that one uh, <laughs> just to play around. Um, and so the the idea behind those is that you're making your own notebooks. Um, then you have methodologies that are paired with a, a notebook, whether that be a, a notebook that's made for it or, or not. Uh, but we have a whole wide variety of notebooks that are out there. I won't belabor everybody with, with the very many of them that I'm keeping track of today because there's lots of Kickstarters and other kinds of products out there. Uh, but there's the Panda Planner and the Monk Manual. Uh, I mean, there are so many of them. I'll put a link to these in the show notes. But there are so many of these planners that are out there that you then can kind of manifest into your own. I, uh, I was actually thinking just now, you know, you could actually take some of those planners and kind of rip the pages out or whatever you want to do, make copies of them and then use Levenger circuit to put, you know, make your own uh, kind of Frankenstein version of it. And, uh, and so we have, we have the ability to manifest in paper, a lot of different things. I, I do want to um, kind of take the digital hybrid or, or the analog digital hybrid uh, sort of bridge, which is that I use the Everlast Rocketbook notebooks, and they are these, well, for better or worse, they're they're kind of plasticky types of paper, and you use special pens, and then there's an application, and it helps you to write on paper. Uh, you you capture it digitally into wherever you want to. You can send an image to or PDF to uh, to email. Uh, you can send it to Evernote, you know, OneDrive, Dropbox, and, and so on and so forth. Google Drive, and then uh, you can just then take a little bit of you know uh, wet rag and wipe the page off, and now it's a, a blank page again. And there are lots of ways in which you can then tie that to automation because the page itself creates a a specific file name that you control, so you can actually put specific tags or words into the file name, uh, and it actually OCRs the first line of the page. So whatever you write in that first page line, it's actually reading that first line for you. So you can then go ahead and uh, push that into the title of the page, which then Zapier can pick up and do all kinds of really fun, interesting things with uh, that particular image. So there's there are ways in which we can now bridge the digital divide with things like that. Plus, we have the LiveScribe smart pen system. Moleskin uh, created their own and and so the idea behind the Moleskin smart writing set is that it is a real time writing tool. So you are as you're writing, it has a little camera, just like the LiveScribe uh, smart pen is embedded inside uh, the pen itself. And as you're writing, it's capturing what you're writing, and you can use uh, different colors. And you, you have this real strong control and mastery of writing in the notebook as it's capturing what you're writing. And uh, and and I think similar to the to the LiveScribe pen, you can print your own paper. Uh, you know, if you it's specialized paper, so you know because the pen has to be able to read the the little micro coding on the page. Uh, but anyway, the the um, smart writing set from Moleskin. Um, there are several others of these types of pens that are in essence capturing what you're writing. Uh, there's even a highlighter pen. There's like a, a smart highlighter so that as you're highlighting uh, lines in a book uh, or or lines on a page that. You 
you've written, it can scan that, OCR it, and pull it into your system in, in different ways. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, but the idea here is that you have all of these amazing tools to be able to bridge doing things in paper while still, for me, at least creating a backup of that data so that if my notebook gets lost, my 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 resident data doesn't get lost with it. But the other side to that then is how can I how can I reduce the friction that we talked about earlier, which is when when we're in a paper-based system, it's really difficult to make a paper-based system fungible. You know, the individual units can't be moved around so easily and manipulated. And I like the idea of using these types of tools to be able to bridge bridge that divide. Then we um, fast forward into now the fully digital world of building your own digital tools. And I think this is where we have the most flexibility today because we are in a uh, kind of a period of proliferation of what we call uh, the no-code movement, uh, or what I've heard is, is called the no-code movement, uh, which is the ability to build tools without knowing programming. And while I think everybody, everybody should be learning a little bit about programming today, not so that you can become a programmer, but so that you can diversify your skill sets and make yourself a, a you know, a, a marketable, uh, you know, employee in the, in the, in the modern world. Um, and, and it's also just really quite, I don't know, just if you're, if you're into personal productivity, like you are, uh, cause you're listening to productivity cast, <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the goal to, to, being more productive uh, in so many ways today is being able to understand all the ways in which your data is being used and being able to then embrace the technology so that you have greater control over that, or at least understanding where, where and how it's being used. And, and you can only do that by understanding a little bit more about programming. Um, actually, lynda.com, which is now LinkedIn Learning, but I still call it Lynda, uh, they have this great program uh, uh, course called... Uh, programming uh, fundamentals, or I, uh, maybe it's the foundations of programming, whatever, I'll put a link to that also in the show notes. Uh, but the idea here is that it just covers the, the you know, the fundamentals, like what is programming and, and why is it important? And what do things kind of look like and under the hood? And that's, that's going to, that's going to help flash forward so much of what these no code tools are doing. And that will help you better use them and make them more useful for you. And so I'll give two examples and then we can we can kind of go from there. Uh, but one of the more uh, user-friendly examples that I've seen come across my desk is the idea of, uh, is, is the tool called Airtable. And so Airtable is in essence, a very powerful version of Microsoft Excel, if you wanna kind of think of it that way, but it, it it's table-based. And so you have rows, and columns, and therefore, in, you know, cells that make up the the table, and then you're able to manipulate the data with uh, with more rich functionality based on that table. Has anybody used Airtable experiences with it? Thoughts? Yeah, I've used it a little bit. It's definitely powerful, and it's definitely targeted. I want to say more towards that turnkey application type of approach, where you're you're doing exactly what you've described. Uh, it's not something that I would run and use as like my daily task manager because I think it would require quite a bit of setup and maintenance to do that. I'm, they have templates and things, but again, you're still going to go down that path of tuning. But 
it's definitely, it has come into its own over the past, I want to say, year to two years from when I first started looking at it. Uh, if you have a group that you're working with, too, it's exceptionally powerful for organizing data and all. But it's not something that you're going to flip a switch and all of a sudden it's going to change the world. It's got a fair amount of overhead. And there's a learning curve on it, too. I, I used it for a project I was on and tried to try to use it for another. But the additional functionality, the learning curve, learning curve and it, and it required some premium features. But the combination of the two made me switch over to try and find something different just because boy it was it was tricky to learn when i first started practicing getting things done when i just came across the material in 2001 i used first a microsoft word document and then i quickly transitioned over to microsoft excel uh, because i wanted to build my own microsoft access application so yes hashtag geek and the the Airtable concept really appeals to me because it's in essence everything that Excel could do way back when with a cloud-based interface. And uh, several years ago, I had uploaded and recorded a tutorial on how to implement a GTD-based system using uh, Google Sheets uh, and Microsoft Excel. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And the uh, and the idea was was that that system worked for me for years and years and years. I mean, it wasn't until I came across Remember the Milk that I thought, okay, this is time to make that transition to a tool that's really solid, mobile friendly, and I can really utilize it well. And so the the idea of Airtable um, and its flexibility, yes, there is a learning curve, uh, but there are lots of templates in uh, the system, and it looks really, really powerful on a on a project tracking level. Really interesting there. Plus, I feel like there are specific projects that this would be really good for, like event planning, or if you wanted to create some kind of really specific type of tool. They have. I'm looking here at the template gallery here. They have a content calendar, uh, digital video production. Uh, a product catalog, bug tracker, uh, simple applicant tracker, marketing campaign tracking. So they have some really interesting templates here that I think could be really useful for individual projects within your system. And so I just, yeah, I think I think it's worth um, kind of checking out in that regard. That takes me over to the other tool, which is called Coda. Coda is a document on steroids. So it allows you to create this document that has all of this other functionality built on top of it. I, I have two things about this. One, I've seen it implemented really well, and it's these are beautiful documents and very interesting. On the flip side to that, I don't feel like it's anything that I can't personally do in Google Docs or in a, in an, a Microsoft Word online document. So it's it's because I know how the tools work and I've been working in those two environments for so long that the idea of Coda doesn't necessarily excite me because if I need to get underlying data, well, I know how to pull a Google Sheets workbook into a Google Doc so or likewise a uh, Microsoft Excel uh, document into a, a online document. So something like with uh, Coda, I don't see as much the benefit, that, but that's purely because I am super geeky and know how to use those tools already to such an effect that embedding a checklist in a document, embedding images that are uh, dynamic, those things don't 
don't appeal to me because I already can do that in the tools that I already have, which kind of goes back to your point, Art, earlier, which is simplify. Even you were talking about that in the paper analog space, but I think that that same uh, thing applies here in the digital space, which is if the tools you currently have can already do it, maybe just learning how to use the current tools better, which is one of my fundamental principles, then you you don't necessarily need these tools. But if you don't have the requisite skills and you're looking for a new tool, something like Coda could really become a a really interesting new you know tool in your toolkit, and it can then blend together. Like my big issue right now is is as we've talked about in past episodes, is the fact that I want my tools more integrated than not. I want more and more integration. I want them to feel like a cohesive system. I want them to feel like Outlook feels as it relates to things, but more functional. Because for me, Outlook does lack functionality that I absolutely need in my system for me to be productive. Yet at the same time, the beauty of something like an all-in-one productivity system, which is what Outlook is, has all of the pieces bundled into it. It's like having your agenda planner, uh, it, you know, your diary in in a digital format. You have your calendar, you have your email, you have your your tasks, you have your notes. All of that is embedded inside of this one uh, vehicle. I have two I want to throw into the pile. Uh, one I've talked about in the past, but it's actually much more applicable in this discussion than in the previous, and that's the tool called Notion. Uh, Notion... It, for lack of a better term, is a information manager, but it's designed to work not only for individuals, but also teams. The reason why it's more applicable here is because some of its capabilities are programmable. It can do calculated columns within certain table layouts. So you can have values dynamically adjust based on other columns. Uh, You can actually build structures, build templates, and really take a much deeper level control over the tool as compared to other tools out there, like a OneNote, like an Evernote, and those types of things where there's more of a higher-end structure. So if you're going to look at something like an Airtable, you might also want to look, take a look at something like a Notion and see if the functionality that's offered in there is comparable for your needs. The other one is something that probably nobody thinks of in this kind of context, and when they hear the name, often they'll go, Ick. Uh, it's at Microsoft SharePoint. SharePoint's a very corporate focused thing, but because you can get, you can sign up for Office 365 now, you can get access to SharePoint. SharePoint gives you all of these capabilities that we're talking about, document management, task management, uh, dynamic lists, libraries, connection to things like Microsoft Flow. And with the improved interfaces that they put into place, I think it's a viable contender if you need something that you really want to build custom from the ground up. Now, when I say custom, I mean configure, not writing code, but actually going in and just you know putting this part here and this part here to build out the tools that you need. I'm slightly biased for it because I build or I configure things in it all the time. Uh, intake systems, workflow management systems, build, business process optimization, you name it. I've done it in SharePoint. But part of that idea is it's a set of tools that give you flexibility. So those are two that I just want to throw out there. And I think it's when you look at Airtable, you look at Notion, you look at SharePoint, these types of things. They are tools that have a lot of Legos in their box that give you the opportunity to snap those together and turn it into the solution that you need. If people have not used workflows for the iOS, I live on iOS, I understand. But there is integration of workflows to certain things. For example, I was traveling this week and this past weekend. So I have 
a whole checklist that uh, populate my OmniFocus before the trip so that way I can go there, open Trip Planner, and it will give me the options and everything is in there. And then after I finish, it will populate automatically everything correctly into OmniFocus. So that way I don't need to go and retype everything. I just need to go to the master instructions of what this plan is and what are the elements on this plan and everything will populate like that. Same thing when I get coaching client, there are certain things that I do. So when I get the coaching client, I just go to workflows, open in a new client, and then it will populate everything automatically. That is really efficient and fast for, for people who wants to, to start playing with those things without necessarily adding new elements or new software to their system. Yes, there are so many platform-based automation tools today uh, beyond Ift and Zapier, which are web-based uh, tools, you know, where where anything that is a web service that can connect to these API-driven uh, automation tools are then capable of being connected together. That's very, very powerful. And I think Microsoft Flow fits more into that, even though Microsoft Flow is much more geared toward the Microsoft ecosystem. It, it still has connections to the external uh, tools like Twitter and, and other tools like that. And the then you then you have platform based tools. Augusto, you're talking about iOS shortcuts, which used to be workflow and Apple bought them and now has bundled it into the operating system, which is super powerful. And I think probably the most powerful on the platform today. Those of you who are on the Android system, we don't get as good of uh, a, a system like that. Google has uh, developed routines, which is the supposed to be the answer to that, which ties in with the Google Home and other other parts of the Google Assistant. But the reality is, is that if you want an application-based automation functionality, you'd have to go to applications like Tasker or Automate. And those are much, you, you need to really understand more programming than you should have to, to be able to make Tasker and Automate work. So there are things like if you, when you leave the house, it'll, uh, you know, turn on, uh, turn off your Wi-Fi or things of that nature that you can do inside of Tasker and Automate. But it is, I think, still way too complex to to manifest for the average user. So while I use uh, those tools, I, I say that you need to probably learn a bit more about coding to be able to make those kinds of things work. So I'm, I'm hoping that somebody builds an, an Android-based version of Workflow, which has become iOS shortcuts, because to simplify that process is really key. And tie, what I really want is that, that then for it to be able to tie into Ift or Zapier so that you can really have a strong implementation on, on that level. And that is exactly what makes shortcuts so powerful is that you don't need to know anything about coding. I mean, you can go click basically open file at you know there it will tell you the applications it will tell you anything you need to understand zero coding in order to be able to create those shortcuts or those workflows i do want to spend just a, a brief moment before we close out to say that 3d printing is a thing and uh and so if you really needed to build your own analog tool uh whatever that might be you wanted a, a specialized type of of tool in your system. Maybe you want to build your own kind of Levenger Circa system. So you want to want to print your own 
uh, style of disc, for example, instead of them being circular, maybe you want them to be square or triangular, whatever you want to do, or uh, maybe you want to print your own notebook cover, you name it. And in the print-on-demand world, you can start to build some really unique planners and other kinds of physical tools. Uh, and this kind of the sky's kind of the limit. Uh, but you don't have to own a 3D printer in order to make that happen. There are actually services online. I'll put a link to these in the show notes. But there are links to these online where you can upload, design what you want to design, and then upload it. And if you can't design it yourself, you can find someone who will for very inexpensive uh, cost, and then upload those designs, have them printed and shipped to your house um, for very nominal cost because, you know, they're printing hundreds of things a day. And so uh, they can they can aggregate those costs um, to bring them down to a normal fee for you. And so you can now start to print things that you can then use. You can get creative with building these tools in your productivity system. And I would be curious from listeners, if you've done anything like this, uh, feel free to let us know. I, I'm, I'm very curious about using 3D printing in the analog uh, productivity space and how that might be useful in Frankenstein and the monster uh, making your own hybrid tool out of different parts over time. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for this conversation. Uh, do you have a question or comment about this cast or something we discussed? If you're listening from anywhere other than the podcast website, we invite you to jump over to productivitycast.net. There at the bottom of the episode page, feel free to leave a comment or a question. One of us will be glad to respond. Um, here also on productivitycast.net, you'll find the show notes. So when I said you'll find links in the show notes, that's where the show notes are. And that's where you can easily jump to any of the particular items that we discussed here in this episode. And you can also learn how to subscribe or follow us on the website. I just recently updated the uh, subscribe page. So it gives better instructions in terms of all the various platforms. So if this is your first time listening to us, uh, go over to productivitycast.net forward slash subscribe, and you can find all the ways in which you can then subscribe in your uh, preferred podcast application. If you have a question other than what we discussed here on this episode, just about personal productivity uh, in in um, a, a more general perspective or maybe a specific topic, but in personal productivity, uh, feel free to visit productivitycast.net forward slash contact, and you can record a message, which we can then play here on the podcast episode and answer, uh, or you can write the message, you know, type it out and send it to us as well. And we'll be happy to uh, engage with you however we can. Um, thanks to Augusto, Francis, and Art for joining me here on this cast. Also, if you can, please jump over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and um, leave a rating or review. Uh, that helps us to grow the personal productivity listening community. And so thank you. That brings us to the close of this episode of Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith, and here's to your productive life. Take care, everybody. That's it for this Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity, with your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks.